I like listening to country music from time to time. I think it's one of the reasons why I like it is because it's one of the last genres of music that tells stories. You ever listen to rock music today? You know what I mean? They're not even saying anything. It's just whatever, just words. But country music tells a story, usually about love or lost love. One of my favorite uh, country music songs, um, I saw it this week again, it's a music video of Trace Atkins' 2009 hit song, You're Gonna Miss This. And the first scene is of this 18-year-old young lady who's sitting in a car, is dropped off at school, and she's saying to her parent, I just can't wait to graduate. And the parent is saying, you're going to miss this one day. And the next scene is this young lady who's in her first apartment, and her dad's helping her paint the walls, and she's telling her dad that she can't wait to get out of this apartment because she's newly married, and her and her husband want to buy a new home. And her dad is saying, you're going to miss this. Slow down. The third scene is of she and her husband being in their new home, and she's holding one child, and that child is screaming, and the other child is crying over there, and there's a plumber that's at the kitchen sink, and her dad's saying, you're going to miss this one day. And then it hits you. It's actually not a song about the girl. It's about the dad. Missing his daughter. As she grows up and has a life of her own. Well, I got a little misty-eyed when I watched that. Many country songs, though, are about lost love. And if you've noticed, most of them are humorous. I think country music has a way of saying it's better to laugh than cry. So consider these country hits of lost love. How can I miss you if you won't go away? In 1979, Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty wrote and performed a song, You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. I did find one religious song about lost love, simply entitled, I Pray For You. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you're at, honey, I'm praying for you. It's, uh, it's one thing to laugh about a uh, country song about lost love. 
It's another thing, actually, to be feeling the sting of rejection, of lost love. You ever felt that? If you've been through a divorce, you have. If uh, you've ever been jilted by a lover, boyfriend, girlfriend, you, you know what that's like. If you've ever been passed up at work, for a big promotion that you knew you were qualified for, but somehow politics got in the way and you didn't get it. If you've ever been rejected and didn't get the job that you thought you needed. Maybe your rejection is more subtle, like home not being a safe place. You know, we're in this series for Advent called Come Home for Christmas. And maybe for some of you, home really isn't a safe place. It's not a place where you're that appreciated or you don't feel that accepted for you being you and it's not just a it's not necessarily an outright rejection it's just this passive sense of you know it's you Jesus knew all about rejection no one was more rejected than him consider these four verses John 1, 10, and 11 says he came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Matthew 13, 56, and 57, and they were offended and refused to believe in him. These are the city leaders of Nazareth. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he could only do a few miracles there because of their unbelief. And then there's John chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you do such these wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. And then, of course, there's Matthew 26, 49. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The betrayer had worked out a sign with them. The one I kissed, he's the one, sees him. So he went straight to Jesus and greeted him. How are you, Rabbi? And kissed him. And then later on in verse 56, at that point all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now I want you to notice something about these four verses. They start at 35,000 feet and then they come right next to you. The Bible says, John chapter 1, that the entire world rejected Jesus, though he had made it. And then the Jewish people, he came to his own Jewish people, and they rejected him. And then his own family rejected him. And then his own disciples rejected him. I mean, on every single level that you could be rejected, Jesus was rejected. But here's the thing. Even though Jesus was rejected in every conceivable way, he always had faith. He had faith in people that one day billions would name him as their Lord and Savior. He had faith in his heavenly Father that never he never wavered from the mission that God had called him to? So this morning I want to talk to you about what does it mean to come home to faith, to stay in faith, even though 
you have been rejected. So how can you still have faith in people even though you've experienced rejection? How can you still genuinely love people though those people are the very ones who have rejected you? Have you discovered that some people are like porcupines? You just go to try to love them, but you've got to do it really carefully. Right? How can you stay in faith trusting God that one day, listen, one day your broken relationships will be healed? You know what's really painful about the holidays? All the family tension that is felt throughout the year just seems more concentrated for whatever reason this period of time. And so for you, many of you in the holiday season, you're estranged maybe from your family, and those estrangements feel much more significant during the family season. And you're just wondering, am I ever going to be reconciled? And most important, how can you stay in faith and trust the Lord to heal your own woundedness that has come from being rejected. I look at four things that Jesus experienced throughout the course of his life. There's probably many, but this isn't like a ten-point sermon, so I've just kind of whittled it down to four. I think these are the four big ones. So let me give them to you. This is how Jesus handled rejection and still stayed on course. This is how Jesus didn't get cynical about people. This is how Jesus dealt with his own woundedness. Number one, Jesus got people. Do you get people? Look at John 2, verse 23 and 24. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem and at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus did not trust them, listen to this, because he knew all about people. Do you know all about people? What does this verse mean? First of all, it does not mean that Jesus was cynical. But I just got to tell you, Jesus didn't trust everybody. In that particular passage of Scripture, Jesus, because of his miraculous activity, people are just flocking to him. But they don't see Jesus as Lord and Savior. They just see Jesus for their next meal. And Jesus gets that crowds can be whipped up pretty quickly. And he's like, no, I'm not into whipping up crowds. I'm into substance. There are many wonderful things about human nature. We see it every day on the news. We see that there are tsunamis in places in the world and earthquakes, and we see people that are rushing to help. You see people that are giving all sorts of funds in order to, sacrificially in order to help other people who are less fortunate than them. There are many wonderful things. Have you discovered that there are great people everywhere? If you treat people nicely, most of the time people treat you nicely. If you're kind to people, most of the time people are kind to you. There's many redeemable, wonderful things about human nature. You know why? Because the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. And God is good. And God is kind. And it's in God's nature to bless. But lest we forget, there's another side of our human nature. Because of sin, we're broken and fundamentally flawed. 
and every single person you run into, including you, struggles with self-centeredness, struggles with pride, struggles with sin, struggles with an attitude of self-sufficiency. I want to do things my way. Now, it's important for you to remember that if you're married. Because you're married to somebody that is selfish. As you are. You're married to somebody who wants their own way and expects it. As you do. Can I tell you the number one reason for divorce? Our culture says it's communication. Some studies say the number one reason for divorce is finances. Neither of those are true. You know the number one reason for divorce? Two selfish people that stopped working on their relationship. That is the reason why there is divorce. Somebody stopped trying to work on it. And they yielded to their own selfishness. It's good for you and I to be reminded that our children are fundamentally flawed. The people you're sitting next to and around you are fundamentally flawed. It's good for you to be reminded this pastor is fundamentally flawed. So what do we do with that? How did Jesus, who was rejected on every single level, how did he not grow cynical? couple things. Because Jesus got what was in people, he always had realistic expectations. He wasn't blown away when people acted like people. Jesus expected that he would be disappointed from time to time with people. One of the ways that we deal with this is just recognizing that whether we always embrace it or not, we have hurt people. Now, you may not have meant to, but you just being you and whoever you're hanging out with just being them, sometimes we just hurt each other and we didn't even mean to. Realizing that people have their own stuff and their own woundedness. And sometimes you get spilled out onto. Getting people means not being judgmental or overly critical when people fall or fail. Have you ever found yourself when you see somebody who you really admire that have the deep character flaw or they do something that is totally inconsistent with their character and they have a moral failure and you're just like so blown away i can't believe it why do you feel that way because at the end of the day what that really means is they yielded to their own selfishness 
I am not saying it's right, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be any accountability. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be any justice. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm trying to say is, is that if you and I are going to move beyond our own rejection, if we're going to move beyond and understand and get people, we're just going to have to recognize that people are fundamentally flawed. And from time to time, you're going to get it because of their woundedness. Okay, all of this is boiled down to one sentence. And you're not going to like this. But you're just going to have to lower your expectations of people. Because people are people. And guess what? Jesus got that. Jesus held people to accountability, but Jesus got that people were people. And your life is going to be a whole lot easier if you can walk around and recognize that when people have rejected you, when people don't accept you, when people don't appreciate you, you can just say, well, I don't like it. Neither did Jesus. But... That's fallen humanity. Number two, build a team of safe people around you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus built a group of safe people around him. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now, this is key. Jesus didn't trust everybody, but he did trust some bodies. He took appropriate risks. Jesus opened himself up to his disciples and especially to his three closest friends. You know that Jesus had three best buds? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If you read the New Testament carefully, you'll discover that Jesus was always, when he was passing through, heading to Jerusalem or someplace, Jesus was always stopping at Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' house for a meal, for some relaxation, a little bit of time out, recoup. Now, Jesus had the disciples, but he also had three close friends. Do you have a team of safe people around you? So what do safe people look like? Well, actually... The best character qualities of safe people are found in the Bible. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. You know it, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's what you do. You look for people that exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and you say, those are my safe people. Okay, but let's really put this on a practical, everyday level. So, who are safe people? People who are loving and have a good reputation for loving over time. Not just when they feel like it. Anyone can be loving. You're looking for people who are consistently loving. People who are gentle with you. People who are willing to earn trust rather than demand it you know that someone is not safe when they expect instant trust from you. People who are safe 
understand that trust is earned. Here's a little phrase you tuck away in the back of your mind for the last point on forgiveness. Forgiveness is free, trust is earned. Never forget that. Forgiveness is free, trust is earned. People who accept imperfections in others, they are safe people. People who have endured pain themselves and are empathetic. Hey, if you want some safe people, go around some people that have been hurt by life and have gone through to the other side and not grown bitter or cynical. Because people who have been whacked upside the head by life a lot, they're generally safe people because they get it. People who can speak the truth to you lovingly. You understand that there are two parts of life, right? Grace, truth. If all you experience is grace, love becomes mushy. If all you experience is truth, love becomes harsh. You always need the balance between grace and truth. And so you're looking for people who love you, who are profoundly gracious to you, who are very gentle to you, but will not hold back when you are wrong, telling you you're wrong. Because... That's love. Love is not somebody coming to you six months later saying, well, I didn't think that was going to work out. Really? You're telling me now, six months later. You should have told me on the front end. People who bear, I love this one, people who bear good fruit in your life. If you find you are becoming healthier, if you are encouraged to grow, if your own identity, your own independence and limits are respected, these are safe people. You know who are not safe people? People who have no boundaries. People who are safe people respect who you are and who you're not. Safe people are people who do not, who do not seek to control you. If you have somebody who's trying to control you, they're not a safe person. I'm not talking about like husbands and wives just trying to give each other advice. I'm talking about people that, you know, like I knew this guy one time that um, whenever his wife was out or, or he'd come home at the end of the day and he'd feel the hood of the car to see if it was warm, if she had been out that day. And then it would be a litany of questions over dinner. Hey, where'd you go? How much gas do you use? It's like, really? Don't be a micromanager. So these kinds of people, these are safe people. And Jesus gathered around him lots of safe people because he was getting hit hard every day. If you're going to flourish in spite of rejection, you need people on your team. Can I just say that the church is the safest place in the world? With all of its flaws, with all of our imperfections, with all of the stuff that we're trying to work out. I'm not saying that there's never people who aren't hurt in church. I get that, right? But when you consider the alternative, church is the best place to find safe people. Three, tell the Father exactly how you feel. 
Don't hold anything back. Listen, if you're going to be a person that overcomes rejection, if you're going to be a person that stays in faith and doesn't walk away from the Lord, how many people do you know that have been hit really hard by life and they just walked away from the Lord? If you're going to be a person that presses in rather than pulls back, if you're going to be a person that stays faithful to the Lord and His purposes for your life, you're going to have to have a lot of honest conversations with the Father. You tell the Father exactly how you feel. Don't hold anything back. So there's this story of this rabbi in Philip Yancey's book on prayer. It's an excellent book. Philip Yancey tells a story about this rabbi who was talking to this man who was having a crisis of faith. And the man is just pouring out his heart to the rabbi. Lots of bitterness is coming out, lots of resentment. I can't believe God, you know, and I can't believe people have let me down. And, you know, they're just going to town. And after an hour, the rabbi looks at the man and says this. Why are you so angry with God? And the man is stunned. And after a moment, the man says this. Well, to be honest with you, I've never really felt like I could be angry at God, so I guess I've always taken it out on people connected to God. And I didn't realize it until this moment. Very wise rabbi. He takes the man to the wailing wall but not where you see on TV. There's a section of the wailing wall that's more private and it goes really far back where hardly anybody goes. And he takes the man to this private place in front of the wailing wall and he says, now it's time for you to get angry with God. And for the next hour, this man is screaming and yelling and punching the wall. And after a while, he starts to sob and cry uncontrollably. And then after a while, his sobs turn into prayers. And Philip Yancey ends that story by saying, and that is how the rabbi taught the man to pray. Stop praying nice prayers. They're killing you. Start praying real prayers. Prayers from your heart. Prayers that stir up everything that's broken inside of you and bringing it to God. I I, I love... Luke 22, Father, Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Even Jesus didn't want to obey the Father. He was struggling. It's a very human moment. Let Jesus be human. If you're about to be crucified, all of you would be like, no, is there some other way that this can happen without me going through this? 
And yet Jesus says, you know what? I'd rather have your will than my will. So he acquiesces. It becomes a prayer of relinquishment. Your life will go to a whole new level in your Christian walk if you can express with honesty your emotions, particularly your feelings that you stuff down inside, your anger toward other people, your anger toward God. How come, God, you didn't let this happen or you let this happen? How come you took my mom? How come you did this? How come you did that? And, you know, you know God can take it. You've heard me say this before. Most of the Psalms are David's ranting of God. And guess what? They became the Old Testament prayer book for the Jewish people. God would rather have an honest conversation than a whole bunch of false, nice prayers. And you'll go to a whole new level when you get to the place of going, okay, I'm going to dig down deep on the inside and I'm going to say some things that may sound disrespectful to God, but I think God's big enough to take it because he's God. Jesus poured his heart out to his heavenly Father. And the reward was what? A profound intimacy with the Father. Four, this is the hardest of all. If you're going to overcome rejection, if you're going to stay in faith, if you're going to have an intimate relationship with the Lord, if you're going to love other people even though you know that they've hurt you and they're going to hurt you, you know, the porcupine people, you're just going to have to learn to forgive. I don't, I don't know how to say it any other way, and I'm not talking about 50% forgiveness. I'm not talking about 95% forgiveness. I'm talking about full-on, 100%, lay it down, let it go, forgiveness. Is there anybody that you need to forgive? A sibling who has hurt you. A parent who walked out on you. A spouse who was unfaithful. Or just nicks you with a thousand cuts. A co-worker who has made your life miserable. A neighbor who gossips about you. A church person who is two-faced. You know you need to forgive when that part of your heart becomes hard. And you begin to wall yourself off and say, I'm not trusting. Now, it's safer to do that, but the reality is, is that the flip side of that is, the more you pull into isolation, the less joy and love you experience. You know you need to forgive someone when you're constantly fantasizing about telling them off. Am I the only one who's ever had that? Come on now. You fantasize about having these conversations. Man, when I meet them in ShopRite. You know what I'm saying? The mandarin oranges will be flying. Right? Or you have fantasies about them getting justice. 
what they deserve and you being vindicated. It's time to forgive those people when you're having mental fantasies that just go on and on and on, where you're always the star, you're always the victim, things are always set right, and they're always the bad guy. You need to forgive those people because they're taking up a lot of mental energy on the inside of you. The ultimate proof that you have forgiven someone is when you can pray for the Father to let them off the hook for their offense toward you or those whom you love. Have you also discovered that you're a big boy and you're a big girl and you can take the hurts, but, oh man, don't hurt my family? You hurt my kids, you hurt my wife. That's a different story. It's, it's genuinely praying that God will let that person or group of people who have hurt your children or your family, let them off the hook. Don't give them the punishment that they deserve. You know you're getting someplace. And you also know you're getting someplace in forgiveness when you can begin to pray that God will bless the person or people who have done you wrong. Because what that means is, is that God is doing a deep work on the inside of you. I have found it of great value to write out prayers. I mean, I pray spontaneously all the time, but there are some prayers that I write out that I keep having to come back to. And so from time to time in the service, I just present prayers to you and give you an invitation to get them and take them home and throughout the course of the week you just look over these prayers and i want to give you a prayer this morning the altars are over here and over here it's a prayer for forgiving people who have rejected us i'm going to read it to you and then i'm going to give you an opportunity to get it but i have a feeling that this is one of these prayers that you're going to have to tuck away and come back to like next year or in three years because just rubbing up against each other we're always going to have conflicts and there's always going to be somebody that's ticking you off but remember you got to get people and if you get people then you'll lower your expectations and say to yourself okay I'll be less self-righteous. I'll be less critical and judgmental. I'll let them off the hook. So here's the prayer. Lord, you know the pain that I have experienced because of rejection. It has wounded me to my core. I now release them to you right now in the woundedness that they have caused me. Would you guard my heart against cynicism or hardness? Would you surround me with safe people? Would you help me to walk by faith as I pursue your path for my life? Thank you, Jesus. So what do you need to come home to this Christmas? What does faith look like for you? I think uh, some of you praying this prayer, it's going to open up a whole new avenue that says, you know what, I think I'll start trusting people again. 
Wounded people always have a hard time trusting. They pull themselves inward. They're kind, they're appropriate, but they'll always keep people at a distance because they don't want to be hurt again. For you, coming home this year for Christmas is actually about opening up your heart again, saying, yeah, I'm willing to take the woundedness because along with the woundedness comes greater intimacy. For some of you, it may mean restoring a relationship with the Lord that's been fractured. Maybe you're thinking, man, I can't believe we're not talking to each other. I can't believe it's been three years. And you've given up thinking that relationship will never be restored. If you come home to faith this year for Christmas, it may mean re-upping, thinking, hey, our God can do anything. Coming home for faith may simply mean trusting God to heal woundedness deep on the inside. Some of you were wounded as a child, and you've said you've dealt with it, but actually it has shaped your entire perspective. And it's not too late. The Holy Spirit may have a gift for you this year that says, no, I'm taking out that thorn, and I'm going to give you a whole new trajectory moving forward. One that's filled with peace and one that's filled with great joy because you are free from that deep rejection that you've kind of coded all around in your life. Does that make sense to you? Would you stand, please? I'm going to say a prayer, and then after I say this prayer, if you want to, you can come up and just get this sheet of paper that talks about how to forgive people who have hurt you, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus... We do not want the rejections that we have experienced to hold any power over us. We release them to you right now. The hurts, the rejection, all of it, we, we just release it to you. We don't even know what life looks, for, looks like on the other side of that, but we're going to walk by faith. We're going to do exactly what Jesus did. God, for people who don't have any safe people, would you help them to find a couple this Christmas? That they can relax and be themselves. Would you give them that gift? In Jesus' name, amen. You just come forward, pick up paper if you want to. You're dismissed.